Welcome to That's No Longer My Ministry, a podcast that tells a different story about healing. A story of healing as discipline, as real, hard, and uncomfortable work. This is a place where we honor the journeys of marginalized folk actively purging years of programming and the consequence of never being centered. A place for acknowledging and moving through trauma. A place where radical self-liberation is sought and no is a complete sentence. You should listen if you're someone who wants to build the kind of life you don't need to escape from. I'm your host, Nadia, a black woman who has spent way too much time trying to fit into a number of spaces that weren't and still aren't meant for me. But that's no longer my ministry. In my mind, I'm feeling a lot more clear than I have been in like the past like all summer (laughs) honestly Mm. um so I mean at least I started the day that way um I was able to like meditate this morning I haven't done that in a long time I didn't even use like a prompt like I just or like you know an app or anything I just did it and I was like what (laughs) that's good that's next level I was like counting to myself and everything. I was like, this is okay. So it was good. I feel like I need that. So in my body, you know, I've been trying to get my fitness on a little bit this summer. I feel like, yeah, my body's an interesting thing right now because I think that I'm just very aware of it more than I normally am. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, yeah, I moved today which is like real it's like I don't know if I'm getting older but I'm like I'm tight like in my body like when I move it's like feeling different so yeah I don't know I'm just more aware but I, I worked out I got on the peloton today yes <laughs> I was like I should call daddy and we should schedule some peloton rides because like people were like high-fiving me randomly like people that <laughs> I was <laughs> It feels good to throw a high five out. Like when people high five me, I feel personally like empowered. I'm like, I'm gonna get this ride. Like oh, <laughs> I was like, who is that? And I was like, I think trying to like, like, I was like, what is this? It was the first time I happened to be it was a stranger. And then I was then it was like more and the it was Hannah, uh, was my instructor. And it was she like prompted people. She was like, now give out your high five. And I was like, oh, this is a thing. So then I started high-fiving people. It was a whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Did it motivate you? Was it was it helpful to your fitness journey? It was, it was. I was like, who are these people? And then I was like, I realized I was on the Black Lives Matter filter because that's right. And I was like, okay, these yes. are my people. Because at first I was like, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like, let me catch somebody with a crooked hashtag, but it was all, it was all the people. That's good. It's the right people. That's good. I, I, you I can't believe you moved it. today. Like you're joining us after having moved. That's a lot of physical exertion. That was at lunchtime too. I was like, I'm about to do it. Yeah. It is this the new space that I'm seeing? Yeah, this is my, this is my office. I just got a new chair. You see, you see our girl, Rainisha. Yes. present. Oh, we love her. We love her. I was just in Seattle for 10 days and she literally did not come out for me at all. Oh, dang. I was in Seattle not too long ago. Beautiful views. Of I was I was really mad. At, you know, I was personally hurt. You know, I was, to <laughs> I was like really I was like my day like the last day I was like okay it better come out and it had the nerve to be like a sunny day like clear blue like in other places but just like a little misty at the base I was like okay girl okay okay (laughs) (laughs) that just means you have to go back soon I think it's like it's to lure you back for more trips Seattle's not the same without you like everybody knows this because Seattle is is something okay (laughs) But with us, you either. with yes. us in it, Seattle becomes a much more magical place. You know, I know. I went to I went to our shop, Brother Gerald. Did I tell you that? I, I don't know if I told you that, but I told you I was just taking a little lap around Georgetown. I went there twice. I went to Fond du Lac Katrina. I was like, yeah, I know. And I stepped in like 
walking down that street and I just started hearing the planes and I was like I miss you know, I know the planes the planes and the train tracks I live right by a train station still and so I love walking around and like I love being near trains like it it I it's know. such a peaceful feeling it always reminds me of you because you said how much it reminds you of Detroit and so I'm like yes. I feel like there's a piece of Kia with me if I'm near a train station oh, train track I know I am not that close train, but we pass by a train often I'm like shout out to the train so but <laughs> that is that is great I love I love it. it's like an active train yeah, yeah, it's the Amtrak. It's the Amtrak, so it goes. Oh through. yeah, so you see them like flying by. Sometimes you can see people like on it, like in the little windows. Yeah, that's a good trick. It's a vibe. But I want to take time to let you introduce yourself to the listeners. I feel like they've probably picked mm -hmm. up on the fact that we know each other. Yeah. Uh, we. <laughs> you know, we used to live together in Seattle. <laughs> One of my my favorite home to date. I will say, um, was the Black and Bougie home in Seattle with Kia. But tell us more about who you are and how your values align to who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my name is Nakia Washington. I mostly go by Kia. And I am, you know, what my Instagram says is like, or I think it's my Twitter handle that just says like, I'm a Black girl trying to figure out the world and I feel like and I wrote that like years ago and just have kept it and I'm just like that's still like me so you know in in my job life in my world like I work in philanthropy I love philanthropy with all of its like challenges and like struggles and like opportunities to be much greater yeah that's what I do kind of during the day and stay in the nonprofit spaces in my life life, like, because I've been trying to answer the question, like, what do you do more so like, what do I like to spend my time doing? So recently, I've been, yeah, really getting into plants. And it started in the black and bougie home with this like wonderful monster that was just like loving our life. Uh -huh. <laughs> I would say she boosted my confidence that I could like take care of something and like, it could like, grow in my presence. And we didn't do much. I don't know what we did. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. When I go plant shopping, I always tell people, now I used to have a roommate who was the primary caretaker of my plants. So give me something, because Kia was the only one checking in. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was a good experience. It was a confidence booster. And so, yeah, now I have a lot of plants. I've started gardening. My ultimate goal is to like be a farmer. Mm -hmm. And I think like really big picture for me is thinking about, from like philanthropy all the way to like plants and like growing things is like, I'm just super passionate about growth and change rather than being people and systems and earth. I love seeing and like stewarding growth. And lately I've been thinking about that with myself too. Like, how am I growing? Like, what's my bigger piece in all this? We're gonna go into our first segment, which is called So You've Been Told. And that is where I rapid fire, give some quotes or ideas. I've done headlines related to the person that I'm talking to and the subject matter that I know you know. So of course, we're gonna talk about black philanthropy. And these are just myths that we're gonna unpack. The first being like, when you hear about a philanthropist, a lot of people think white, and really wealthy. So like, AKA, I have to be super wealthy in order to participate in philanthropy efforts. Yeah. What is your response to that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, nope. And I think that is like, <laughs> that's the reason that I show up in philanthropy. And that's like kind of the thing that I've been thinking about most is we need to like really deconstruct and like recreate the word philanthropy and philanthropist. How I have learned philanthropy is, is showing up for people, right? How I participate in philanthropy. Before I was calling it philanthropy in my life, it was like, you know, I'm showing up for you know someone that's either close to me or a stranger and I'm giving of like myself whatever that has, that may be my money, that may be like my time, that may be me like, you know, giving a listening ear or like whatever that may be some advice. That's how I kind of got my roots grounded in philanthropy. When I was like growing up, now, I mean, I was like a little bit older. I said, I think I started wanting to be a philanthropist because I saw like huge people, Oprah making these huge impacts, right? Like on yeah. those like big concerts where like you were like giving out all the money and like stay with all the lives. So I was like, I want to be a philanthropist. And I was like, but that also means I have to be like super rich and famous. And so I just kind of aligned myself with working in philanthropy accidentally. And from that, you see that like some of the most magnificent 
examples are philanthropy are not those actually big acts uh, where people are throwing money, you know, at a cause and saying mm-hmm. that they've changed the world. It, it could be, you know, a neighbor showing up for another neighbor in a really important moment, right? Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, if Oprah is giving a 1% or 0.001% of like her total income to this thing rather than someone giving you know, their last or or something that is really meaningful to them, that is also philanthropy. And so philanthropy over time, and we could get into the history and like the nerdy stuff around philanthropy about how it's been created, which is what I love to do. But we've been really misled to not recognize the most philanthropic acts that we've seen in the history, especially in the history of this country, when we talk about Black folks, when we talk about Indigenous folks, when we talk about other marginalized groups, how they have and how we have basically uplifted our communities just by showing up for each other. Like that is, those are philanthropists, right? So yeah, I love that question. There's a lot of thought right now around popping that bubble and transitioning that word into something that is you know, really more meaningful and accessible to all those who who participate in it. Yeah, I love how you changed kind of the wording around to showing up because I think there are so many efforts and I learned this like firsthand from you. I feel like just following your Instagram account, which people should do, you like you always pop gems in your stories about like what people can give to and how they can give. So not always financially, but like there are so many different ways. I know that I've shared some like Venmos of people to contribute to. And part of that is also like, we just need a movement of people to share. That's also showing up right? Because you get that Venmo account in the right person's hands. And maybe that person can donate $2,000 as opposed to like, maybe I'm going to donate 20 today, or your friend's going to donate five. All of that is still showing up and being a philanthropist. But, you know, you hear, I, I just feel like when I think about the word philanthropy, like when you told me that you were a black philanthropist, <laughs> I was like, huh, that, you what? know, like in my mind, you got money, kid. What you holding out? You got a trust fund? <laughs> well, I imagined you, and maybe this is the case, but I imagined yeah. you at like galas with like a bunch of uppity. I mean, that too. Folks. <laughs> That's part of my life too. <laughs> and they're like, their full-time roles are philanthropy. And like, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, that's like, part of it too also. <laughs> but I like this, like, I like the idea of recognizing other kinds of efforts by renaming it, by making it something that sounds more accessible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, philanthropy at the root of the word, they mean literally the love of humankind, right? So it's like when we think about something at its base and like, you know, get kind of basic with it, like what are we actually doing? Are we loving on people, right? In ways that are actually impactful to them, right? That actually like support them in their journey of where they're trying to go. So that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. But but yeah, that's what keeps me showing up in this work. It's more than goodwill, but it's just about community, right? Like you spoke to can be about sharing things and sharing link and passing on the message. You know, I see philanthropy very similar to like organizing and it is organizing. A dear friend taught me, taught me that as well. A lot more people can feel involved in philanthropy and that's the world that, that I dream of seeing. And I love that you mentioned kind of going into some of the nerdy like historical roots, because the next thing I wanted to break down, I was reading earlier as I was doing a little search on this, African-American families have more than any other racial group contributed the largest portion of their wealth to charity. So (laughs) what would that, what is that? I'm sure people are hearing this right now and being like, really? That doesn't, that can't be right. What is this? (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I get so hyped about all these things. These are like the, the things that I love to to just like surprise people with, right? Like that's a nice little party trick. And people are like, what? Um, And I think I've been like, for me, I'm like, doesn't everyone know that by now? And I'm like, no, people still do not know that. But when you think about how wealth has been able to be accumulated in this country and who's been able to accumulate wealth and who has been, you know, denied access from that wealth accumulation. And just for like to talk about wealth, we're not just talking about cash transfers. We're talking about land and assets. And, you know, we can get into whole backstories of how all of these barriers have been set up, set up for 
those who are, uh, I had a friend who was calling, he calls folks Anglo, he doesn't use white, he was just like Anglo, and I was like, that's funny, and so I would try out Anglo, but he was just like, you know, our Anglo-Americans, the, the access that has been granted to certain families to maintain and pass down wealth, the Black community, since we've been in, you know, this land in the United States has not had a portion of that access, right? And when we look at a timeline of how long that access has been granted, again, like Black Americans have had a tiny portion of time to accumulate the amount of wealth uh, when we look at, you know, wealth and net worth today. And so even when you look at net worth of Black and, and white households, and I hate just using like white as the comparable, but that's what we see in like a lot of the data. So that's what's there. But yeah. uh, when we look at Black folks, in comparison, and we just look at the net worth alone, you'll see astronomical differences. And what this statistic that you brought up is that we're seeing that Black individuals based in that and having lower net worths, right, not just incomes of lower net worth, are giving greater percentages of this net worth to charitable causes. And I also want to pull out that that's just what's recorded, right? That's what's on record. Yeah. <laughs> um, typically, if you also look at giving within not just Black communities, but communities of color, like under the table wealth transfers are, are, you know, what we see a lot of. So that's when you're not, we're not doing it to like report it on our taxes and like get a tax refund. Like that's not the point of the giving is like to actually like, you know, get back to the root of philanthropy to show up and love. But like, so yes, it is Black families have been and Black households have been and are giving more. And that's not even, you know, the, the full data is not even in on that if we really look yeah. at philanthropy and this widened standard definition. I think that's not surprising if you look at, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, right. it's not surprising if you look at the values of the black community or right. of other marginalized communities of communities right. of color like it's a very we're communal in right. how we show up and so it's not surprising that we're giving the most back to our community and i like that you pulled out like and that's just what's recorded like of course we're doing right. so much more i don't know how many times right. <laughs> right. white people get inspired by the tax breaks and it's like <laughs> Can we get inspired by humanity? Can we get inspired literally, by just literally. giving to someone who truly needs, like who needs to make rent? Can we get inspired by people yes. who are, you know, having, there's all these financial crises happening right now in this pandemic. Right now, exactly. Can we, and we've seen a lot of like wild philanthropy during this time. And like, actually the reports from like the 2020, like taxes and like charitable giving reports are starting to come out. And those are like really exciting this year because people were acting in philanthropy like they hadn't in a long time. They're just like, oh, we can just give our money away without like these, you know, huge re uh, reports or requests or applications where like people need money. We're just going to do it now. And those cases still exist outside of the pandemic, right? And yeah. we're like, yes, like communities that have been in crisis and are in like crisis mode, why can't we do the same thing and just give, right? And just show up. And so, yeah, I think the pandemic, to your point, is, is changing that. The question is like, will it stick? You know, and I think it's an opportunity to window for Black philanthropy because basically how I would view it, philanthropy has been acting more like folks in our community have been acting for a long time, which is just like help those in me, right? Like show up for your community because we all see each other in this same shared cause and there's relation, but how do we, can we keep that same energy? Yeah. <laughs> like once, once this pandemic is over and I think there's a lot of exciting change and change in leadership, you know, mm -hmm. more black women in lead, which is always just good. <laughs> That's just good. Like, just let that good. be a message, people. Right. Like, actually, we don't have to say anything more. There's more Black women in charge. So we're in a better place. Yes. Honestly, I, I mean, you've echoed a lot of things that my former podcast guests have said about each of their individual spaces, right? We're seeing mm -hmm. the discussion on how the healthcare system has treated marginalized communities, and you see it in the number of people who are unwilling to get vaccinated because the healthcare system has done them so wrong for for centuries, right? Yeah. And so 
we want to see that change. This discussion is becoming more of the forefront right now because we're in a pandemic, but we want to see that energy continue. Similarly mm-hmm. with philanthropy, you're giving mm-hmm. now, you're seeing the disparities more clearly now than ever. And you're also mm-hmm. seeing a number of people who may be in your community on the on the outskirts of your community who's in need. And you're thinking like, I should be part of it, but can we keep that energy? Right. Like, I want that right. to be. Yes, can we keep keep that same energy? Literally, <laughs> we want. Yeah, we want to see people helping other people. I think at the end of the yes. day, like that's what we should be doing with our wealth is helping other yes. people. Literally, it's just like there's so much of it in so many places and so many gaps. There's so many other. It's just like, come on, come on, guys, like, come on. <laughs> I think, and I think like, I actually remember a conversation we had probably more than once at our large kitchen table about this exact thing. Like we lived in Seattle. There's a lot of wealth in Seattle because there's so much tech in Seattle. And we also see so much homelessness. Yes, it's shocking. It's, is it though? (laughs) Honestly, like what the hell is going on here? Like, you know, like, logically it just doesn't add up like the math just ain't right and it's like when you break it down for the, the math just ain't right and it's like come on and it's just like there's no like yes we can get into like the really psychological arguments but it's just like it literally just doesn't make sense you know I don't know it's disappointing and being back in yeah Detroit it's also really interesting to like compare which like Detroit, Metro Detroit, like is also an area, you know, more than people would think that has yeah. also extreme wealth. And I don't know, community is also different, right? Even though Detroit is like one, and Detroit itself, right, is a city that has went through bankruptcy, exercise. But I, I swear, like, I don't see, let me see a homeless person, like, let me see homelessness this year. I, it just is not happening. Yes, there are homeless people, but the the uh, the degree, and I think it, it it I don't know how people show up in community are different, and I think there's a lot of things that contribute to that. But you know, I it's just it doesn't make sense to me that there can be so much disparity and need, and I think other folks are realizing that. And I think there's a really exciting call right now from people from our generation, really. And honestly, I'm super excited about the next generation because, you know, wealth hoarding just like kind of isn't cute anymore. It's not sexy. (laughs) Like, like, it's actually just not cute. I believe in like the future to really do some transformational things with just wealth redistribution. I don't think we have to wait on reparations. We can advocate for them because we do believe in them. But, you know, there's other ways that redistribution of resources. And again, this just isn't money can happen. Yeah, I feel like I went on a tangent. No, that was perfect because our last thing to unpack, and this was a headline that I saw was in philanthropy, race is still a factor of who gets what. Mm. And if you have the most resources mm-hmm. in your neighborhood, things yeah. don't pop off, you know, like they would if you are literally like scrambling for any kind of yeah. one of your needs, let alone yeah. multiple needs. And so as you are, you know, raising money for a lot of different clients and groups, I'm curious about what you're seeing in like the 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 racial lens of how that factors in what kind of money you can bring in. Yeah, well, the historical context is really interesting. And I just implore, (laughs) encourage people to dive into the history of philanthropy a little bit, like going back to like the 1900s, like where you see like these origins of philanthropy and you'll see names like Rockefeller and like, you know, the other, the other white names that come up a lot. And then I also encourage you to like do a look into black philanthropy that was happening during the time philanthropy that was going to the Black community at that time, you'll see that, like, philanthropy that was initiated for Black communities, in Black communities, by folks who were not Black, often had some type of intention beyond helping Black communities, like, have up there some underlying, right, effort, rather it was with schools and education, which you'll see a lot of threads of, like, religion and like influence upon religion in those cases right you'll see that there's these like ulterior motives right from philanthropy you can then that still happens right in philanthropy a lot where it's like let's help black and brown communities 
become X, Y, and Z. And it's like under these contexts that are based in like, you know, colonized, institutionalized white supremacist systems, right? That don't fit for our community. So the history of philanthropy starts like that, where it's like the where the dollars went and how they actually impacted what the communities named as important to them wasn't always aligning. And that still literally happens today. And you see that something that I'm really passionate about is giving operational unrestricted funds to organizations without asking them for a report or dictating where the money should go, right? Because that is how you see when it's a grant for educational programs for students eight through 12. Organizations who don't serve youth, or not even don't serve, but aren't looking for money for that particular program right now, but need operational funds to keep it going, fit themselves into these molds all the time just to be able to apply for funding and to be able to access funding because so much of the funding is tied up in these programmatic, already defined dollars, right? What is one point of eliminating that barrier is just to give operational funds and to actually give the communities and to trust the communities, right? To do what they need with the funding, right? Philanthropy as an industry has to really remove its own agenda and its selfishness in order to truly have the most impact for the communities that it's trying to show up for. Because Mm -hmm. if you're like, hey, Kia, I need some help. And I show up with my bag of like Band-Aids because I'm like, I got hella Band-Aids, Nadia. I'm gonna give you Band-Aids, right? And then you're like, oh, you know, like I actually have a migraine, but like, thanks. I'll see what I can do with this. Right? <laughs> I'm just gonna and, start putting them on me and see if that fixes this. Right? Migraine. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, we'll see that while communities of color are jumping through these barriers, communities that align with a homogenous, homogenous. I'm trying not to say white a lot. I'm gonna let you know. I was trying not okay. to say white because I'm trying to center like whiteness less in my language but then yes. i'm just like white people <laughs> you can say like not you can say non-people of color non-black non-people people. of color yes exactly anglos <laughs> right anglos right i forgot that was my word yes anglos <laughs> but a lot of times right they don't have to go through these same barriers because of like connections or like whatever like you know whatever type of backdoor solutions or even just being able to write an application in a way that reads well to a white person. Like, right. maybe I don't write like that. Like maybe my program is great, but I don't communicate yeah. with you like that, right? So there's just so many disconnects between decision makers and philanthropy and those who are actually doing the work. And honestly, I think that is like, that gap is where a lot of bridging and healing can happen, right? And I mm. think there's, a missing, I don't know if there's a missing player or whatever it is there, but it's like, it's a gross power dynamic that happens with philanthropy and it's been gross for a long time. And it's like, you know, that's how communities of color and communities who have, you know, historically been marginalized and underrepresented keep getting, even if folks say they're showing up, they keep getting these shorter ends of the stick and then expected to be so appreciative because you got help in the first place. It's like, that's actually like, it's not that great. Like, you know, like do better. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause you brought up something that I didn't even really think about, which is the way that people will designate certain funds for certain things. And if you don't fit into that mold, then you're not even really eligible. Or like you said, okay, well you receive those funds for that specific thing. So now you have to throw that money at that specific thing. And it's not actually serving the ultimate goals that you need your funds to serve so that becomes that's interesting and my follow-up question i have is like do you see that for like different more resourced i would say more white i'm very comfortable saying that (laughs) um people seeking money are they receiving more contributions that are less guardrailed i guess i could say yeah that are are they receiving contributions right that have like that are more like here's an a blank or open check for right you to do what you need to do right i think that's a general problem in philanthropy more widespread right but i think there's interesting things again like these back-end like relationships that our folks are able to have it might be a family foundation that's supporting their like homeboys organization mm-hmm. that they've been supporting for 30 years so they're just like I'm passing you money for whatever you need, you know, and I've seen that too, right? But generally, philanthropy overarching, like, can be 
less restrictive with their dollars. And I think there are cases where just because of who has access to wealth and who has held wealth and who has those relationships and connections to wealth, we do see less guardrails around, Mm -hmm. you know, white-led, white-centered organizations. Yeah, that's, it's interesting. It's an interesting space for you to dedicate your time. And, and also it's a problem that I truly believe that you can help solve because if there's anybody that I know who could get to the right people through people, like Kia is the ultimate networker I have ever seen in my whole life. Just finding her ways in rooms with people you wouldn't imagine because she just talked to some stranger on the bus. I'm just trying to network. I'm just trying to connect these people together. Honestly, honestly, it's like, I think that's why I love this space. I'm like, you know, I love meeting new people. I love connecting people. I love Black people. I'm like, let me like connect. Like, since I have had, you know, access to these spaces, since I have been like wiggling my way through philanthropy and, you know, I don't take it for granted that I can be here. I'm like, what can I do while I'm here is like bring more people with me, connect more people. Like, and that's what I like to do anyway, like you said. So I'm just like, cool. Yeah. Speaking of connecting people, any funds that we should be contributing to right now or things that you've stumbled across this week that you're like, oh, this is cool. Yes. Oh my gosh. I have something super personal and it's just on my heart because I think, yeah, I could give you some like things you could find on your own, but I do believe in like supporting people who are close to you and like in your own circles as much as possible. So I have a friend whose name is Princess, who is who was diagnosed with cervical cancer at the beginning of the year. And we are doing some fundraising. Princess is one of my sorority sisters. I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated. Princess is actually my dean. So she's super just an important person to me and has been like a model of like the woman that I could be for so long. So super personal to me, but she is raising funds right now to do some IVF treatments so that she can, you know, given the circumstance, still yeah. have kids someday. And so I'm raising money for her. The page is givebutter.com backslash we got you princess. So okay. like, we got you princess. <laughs> That's it. Give butter, like yellow butter, givebutter.com backslash we got you princess. Perfect. And we're going to drop that in the podcast notes as well so that anybody who comes across it can give. And I think it's important, like use Kia as an example, share, you know, the people in your community who needs help, because that is important. And I love that you shared something personal to you and not just something that we could find on the internet. So yeah. And I've got hello links for that. And I can talk about that all day, but yeah, I appreciate the space to do that. What is no longer your ministry? Yes. Um, so I had a long sentence for this, but I was like, that's so deep. But um, what is no longer my ministry is playing into and adhering to colonized ideas of time and how we should spend our time. And I think it colonized can be subbed with capitalism also. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I am with you on this one. I'd love to hear more about how this concept has come up for you and how you're currently exploring this idea of not subscribing to what you're essentially saying, white supremacist ideals of time. I don't know. I feel like it's like the common phrase, time equals money. Like that's what. Yes, that's it. It's not that. Right. No, it's so. I don't know. I've been like thinking about this lately. And like, it's honestly hard when you're like, you spend a lot of hours of your day in corporate America and like (laughs) clocking your hours and on a clock. And I think, you know, honestly, these concepts really came up for me. I was like, I could talk to Natty about this so much now because I get it. Like being a consultant and like tracking your hours. Like when I started as an independent consultant, just working for myself, you know, I was like, and I see, I've seen you do it. I've been like, oh my gosh, daddy. And then I felt it. And I was like, like, why am I like doing all this work? And then I'm counting my hours and then I'm like valuing myself and my, like on these hours. And I was like, that's like really ridiculous and like there's some really like if we get down to the root of it and like you know when I'm like having my me time at the end of the day smoking the joint I'm like I get into the thoughts of like what am I actually like this is actually pretty wild that we assign our value like so much of our value 
to these hours that are essentially not really ours or not dictated by us, right? And not that that's the case for everyone, but I've been like exploring like, what if like I took back my time? Like, what does that look like? Because honestly, like, you know me, I will like run ragged and then have to like crash and like recoup. <laughs> and then oh, I will like, look, you know. You I will know? see, I will see like, let's just go down memory lane of, <laughs> Me like waking up to hearing Miss Kia Washington on the phone at like five in the morning because she's on East Coast time, <laughs> just yes. catching up with her folks over there, then starting her full day of work, like probably around eight, not coming down for food or other things until like early afternoon. But then she's just grazing all day, but then working <laughs> into the late hours on multiple things. Hours. And and then like it would literally maybe like 9 p.m. I see her just crashed out, like literally dead asleep. She's done. Like she works until she's done. And then it's nothing else. There's <laughs> nothing else. The crash is so real. You know that crash. You and you know that crash. Leslie probably knows that crash too. Like that crash is so real. You know, I've really been reflecting like what the hell? I think it's been conditioned, right? from having to do this for so long. Like I went to grad school and worked full time, right? So being like overproductive, right? And even before grad school, like I've always like worked and done extracurricular activities. I tried to like start a nonprofit. Well, like the represent that was a lot. I've always been like involved in like extracurricular activities, right? And all these things that like look good, right? And all these things that are like, this is me doing good, like, right? Like this is mm -hmm. what, the world says I should be producing right now and I'm doing it. And it's just like, I am like, hell no. Like after this summer, so really why that's been setting in is I just got done traveling a lot, some of it. And I worked like most of the time through it. And I was mm -hmm. like, that's like a pandemic, like learning lesson, right? Is like, yes, we can work from everywhere. We don't need to work from everywhere. And because <laughs> it's hard. Right. When you're looking at your time and your plan, you're like, I do want to be in these locations and I can work. So yes. it works. And then you're you trying get to maximize there. your time. You're trying to but be then like you get there and you're like, um, traveling is exhausting. There are other people around me competing for my attention. I can't just. Yes. Work. Yes. No, literally. And so I was just like drained. I was just like, I, and you know, I'm so sorry. I was like, I don't want to see people for like a couple days. Like, I'm like, I like literally like, and it's like the end of summer, there's events going on, lots of cool. I was just like, I don't want to see people. I was like, I, and it's not that I don't want to be social, honestly. I just want to kind of feel in control of my time. Yeah. It's like, I want to choose what I want to do. Totally. How about that? Wild, yeah. wild concept. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course it's like, there's never been worse times of like, feeling not grounded for me is when I'm thinking about like, I no longer feel like time is mine to have. Like, I feel like other people have control over my time. Yeah. And that yeah. feels just rotten. Like, doesn't feel like something you can escape from. I was just talking about mm -hmm. this with Isaac actually the other mm -hmm. day, cause I was like, I just need to feel regrounded in my community. I'm feeling really, really dis disconnected and I'm feeling disconnected because I don't have time to just like, take yeah. off for a week. I can't. Yeah. There are too yeah. many things here, including like navigating housing, navigating right. my job, navigating like this podcast, the creative aspirations I have that I can't just take off. But no. how bad is that? You can't control your own schedule to just take off? Right. I know. And it's like, it's so hard because it's like, I just want to be like, I just want to say like, I'm not doing that actually right now. Like, why can't we take off? Because there's all these like, deadlines that like are produced that things have to be done by said number of time right and I'm not saying that deadlines are bad like I think we should always have goals for ourselves of when we want to complete but it's like how often are you like considered in the deadline? like hey Nadia here's this deadline what you got going on like you know like tell me about your like you know it's like so many things <laughs> like we are just not in charge of just giving input to like how we feel or how we're able to show up in that moment right or like having the flexibility to be like I was gonna do that but like I feel like shit now and like I just had a week that like I did not expect with some ex unexpected news or like honestly I'm just tired like where right do you feel like I just I just need to take off and like I feel like we should be able to say 
I just need to take off like and do that for ourselves. Yeah. And I was, I was like, honestly, I was like, I want to talk about this, but I was like, you want to be public? Well, people think you're like lazy AF because you know, I'm like, no, I was talking to my brother. He's like, no, like you're talking real. It's not, we've been conditioned really to like, move at the pace of time is money right yeah that like I said is just a very toxic thought that I don't know how we step back from but like I'm trying to like take baby steps back in my own life and like claim my own like my time is like my health my time is my happiness my time is like my breath like you know like so much more than money Absolutely. And we can't, I think it's interesting that you're talking about like what we've just had to kind of subscribe to based on working norms, right? And now that we're all working from home, in a lot of cases, the people who can, there are a lot of people who are actually going into physical locations too. But now that like a lot of people are exploring this concept of like remote work, working Mm -hmm. from home, and we're doing this in a pandemic. So like, let's all keep in the mind that the backdrop of all of this is that there are lots of people dying from COVID. But then the expectation, like as I reflect back on my last year, it's like, I actually was the most productive I've ever Uh been. And that was actually written in one of my performance reviews. It's like, well, other people slowed down this half. Nadia really soared. And it's like, but that's a sick expectation. Right, right. Are we celebrating that? We're celebrating that in the face of all of this loss, we were able to pick ourselves up every day and just work, 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 work. But we weren't necessarily finding ways to put time into our health. We weren't necessarily finding ways to put time into the connections that we have that we are hoping are staying healthy throughout this whole process. Like, yeah, literally, (laughs) we all subscribe to it, right? So it's also like a while. It's like, how do you step outside of it when you do, right? And when you give yourself the time, you go on vacation, you come back and you're like, holy fucking shit. Like, was that even worth it? <laughs> like, you know, like, damn, like now I have this and now I feel so it's just, I don't know. I don't know the answers to it, but that's what I've been trying to do lately is just prioritize my own needs first when I think about my time, because I'm like, this is my time. I'm the only one that like really like gets to use my time, people who have their time, that's their time to use, right? As much as I want to give my own self grace, I want to give that to other people too. So I think like, first I started with this thing was like, if any like black woman was like, I was going to be like late or like canceled on me. Like literally you never have to apologize to me as a black woman about anything about time, right? Like period, like don't even like, literally don't even (laughs) like, you know, and it started with that, but also just giving that grace to more people right like modeling that like it's okay right like it's okay to like not meet an expectation because that you put into the future anyway a future that you didn't know what was gonna show up in that moment with you right like totally I mean, you modeled that right before this interview. Let's talk about that because I'm trying to find a new home and I'm like, okay, I have exactly one availability. Like this morning I could confirmed that I could tour this place and they only had availability at 3 p.m. Now, Uh if we break this down, this was a self-guided tour. So why was there only availability at 3 p.m.? Because people trying to take your time. They're trying to block off and slide off time. It's like, look. I was like this. Okay. Okay. So we're on this tour and I'm with my partner and I was like, Oh, I have, I have to be, <laughs> I have to be on this call by three 30 with Kia. And it's so interesting because my partner was like, we know Kia, Kia's not going to care that you're running late. <laughs> so I, you know, I send my text. I'm still anxious because like, like you said, like, while we have yes. different feelings about time, we're operating within a system that values it. So there are people who when you're late, they're like, I wish you would respect my time better. Stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know? And I also don't want to offend somebody. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. well, let me just give them as much notice as I can, but also apologize, all these things. And you're just like, that's fine. And also put in some transition time if you need. And like, it's your time. And I think that's that's so important. Like I I had to cancel another interview the other day because my mental health was bad. Like I just Mm -hmm. couldn't get out of bed and I canceled it. And her response, this is a black woman. Her response was, thank you for allowing me to support your self care. Uh I want to cancel more meetings like that. (laughs) Then I'm like, this is the way. So like, as we move into the segment, it's the work for me. You've mentioned like one of your things is modeling the behavior, but what are some other things, some other work that you're doing, not only to model it, but to 
reclaim your time, like you said. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a work in process. This is new. So <laughs> I think it's starting with really just having permission to slow down. So I think I had a talk with my cousin. He talked to me about like saying no. And like, this is something people have been like, say no more often, Kia. And I've been yeah. like, yeah, I need to. And that's just like really hitting in this moment. It's like permission to say no, right? And like, he threw it to me in a way. It was like, it's a privilege to be engaged in something that someone asked you to, right? And right. you want to support them in the best way possible. And that may not be your time, right? Like that may not be your time. And, yeah. and for that, you say no, like, you know, I want to support you by saying no. You know, there's just greater growth that can come. I think we all look for these different affirmative responses in our life and they can be affirmatively they can be a response that's affirmative right but is it actually affirming like who we are and so and like where we're trying to go and what we try we're trying to do so I think for me yeah it's just saying no slowing down honestly I hate this like a lot but it's like more routine and that makes me feel like really old and like I don't know like an A-type personality which I am totally not and I've been actually very I think I've been fighting routines for like a long time, but I'm like, you know what? If I want to take time for me, I'm going to like schedule it so I can make sure that it's there because yeah. everybody else is scheduling on my calendar. Why, why don't I have the right to schedule on my calendar? I'm like, oh no, I'm about to schedule appointments with my, since we're doing this now, right? Yeah. So it's like also when you can't change the system, right? In that moment, like how do you make the system work for you? Um, totally. so it's like, okay. I'm going to play that game with y'all trying to build up my calendar. I'm going to put some stuff on my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> so what, that, kind of, what kind of things it. do you put on your calendar? Like how, how do you structure a routine that works best for yeah. you? So I've been thinking about it and this is like, I'm literally just working on it, but in a monthly way. So, so I'm like, I'm not going to do the same thing every day, but there's like certain things that I want to make sure are done every month. Like, mm -hmm. did I work out mm -hmm. 10 times, right? So these kind of like, monthly goals and then scheduling like did I get my hair done because that's something that like will fall off and I'm like how did I like not get my hair trimmed in like yeah a year and a half <laughs> you're like oh my gosh I literally <laughs> wait two three years and then like, like, I know <laughs> but it's like you know other stuff is getting scheduled and you're just like that's it. so I'm like I'm gonna make sure that happens right monthly that I'm doing like I'm going into someone's shop to get my hair cured like taken care of like yeah. why not you know other and it's just like other self-care things I was like my partner took me to get a pedicure the other day and it was like really great and also I was like it's been like I think the lady was like it's been a long time and I was like mm -hmm. yeah it's been x number of us I was very to say she was like you need to be coming every six weeks and I was like okay <laughs> I was like okay girl noted so yeah, thinking about it monthly with just some goals. This is honestly a new concept, but I feel like like those will be on my calendar just like the rest of my things, right? And I'll put them in in spots that feel right, but no, like I can move them because flexibility is also important for me. So right, if I have my hair care appointment set for the second Saturday, that might get moved to the third Saturday one month, right? But yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to try. <laughs> no, I love these like monthly goals. I think that makes a lot more sense like especially when you're trying to build out a routine i feel like rigidity could be the thing that actually does not contribute to those yes. goals and saying yes. like like i have to do i have to work out every day yeah i like fight myself i don't know like i'm like my own worst enemy it's like me being like oh, I'm not gonna do it. like i don't know it's well and it's also <laughs> you being realistic with you right because if you're yes. saying i have to work out every day like i work out a lot and there are days where i'm like i I know that won't serve me today. Right, right, like I, exactly, exactly. I know that actually just spending maybe five minutes with a meditation is going to serve my wellness goal today. Right. Exactly. And that's about like that. So I, right. I don't want to put the same bounds on myself that, you know, we're taught to put on our time. Like I want to give myself flexibility. I want to be responsive to how I am showing up then. But I also want to like, you know, hit some goals. <laughs> Yeah, so of I course. think it's a it's a it's a balance, but no, I totally feel you. I did that's I was supposed to work out this morning and I was just like, I'm gonna sleep in a little bit more and do a meditation. And yeah, that was cool. And I had a I had a little thing scheduled and I was just like, nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I love that. I think that yeah. we all need to move into like I encourage a lot of people to cancel things on me 
all the time. Like cancel, reschedule. Like I think you're that- still going to get your goal done, right? Like it's not like we won't get to that end point. Like if we do, then it probably wasn't meant to be. And thank you for this opportunity to like exit. But like, right. we're going to get there, right? Like it's not a, it's not a never, it's just postponed. <laughs> Right. And it's also like think thinking about like even applying it to work. Now, this is harder because you have powers oh, above yes. you that may schedule. But like yes. I think about the way like for me, when I plan things, I look at larger milestones and then I make my little internal yes. calendar. Right. And so yes. I'm like, I have to hit this meeting by next week. I was even doing this for the podcast. I realized that I was yes. applying a standard that I don't believe in to my own Mm -hmm. schedule with the podcast where I was like, I have to have X amount of things, you know, ready to publish at certain points. And if Mm -hmm. I don't have that, I'm going to feel behind. But reality is I had enough episodes to publish right now. So, so actually skipping this interview this week is fine. And (laughs) like, and it literally means nothing about my value. It means nothing about like how quote unquote prepared I am or how, expert I am at this, but I was putting all the burden of those feelings on myself because I Girl. I was going against my own internal timeline. Like it doesn't exactly because we've been taught to do that. And I think that's like like literally I hate showing up late plays and I've had to like really dig into this because like Honestly, I'm like, they're gonna be like that. Of course that black girl showed up late. Like there's some real internalized like things that go on with like and what it means for us to be in our relationships with time, right? How other people have taught us what that means. It's finding ownership where you can when you're in systems that say you do have something, right? That this is your schedule and we all let's not play. We can't all be out here free willy nilly like I'm about to do this with my time, right? Because unfortunately we we all live in a, in a uh, robust uh, moving system of capitalism. So, you know, I think what you said is really real. Like, take the pieces of your time that you can own, right? And make mm-hmm. them your own, right? So even if you have, your day has to look a certain way for work every way. If you have to hit certain goals along the day, right? What does it mean to take breaks or, or put you know, are you are you listening to music or setting a certain tone or vibe for yourself at a certain part of the day? Like, what do you need in that time? And how do you give yourself that, right? I'm a beginner in this, but I think it's, yeah, it's a new journey for me that I have been encouraged by, like, listening to podcasts like yours and, like, yeah. other folks, especially in this moment, just talk about being exhausted. And it's like, that is not our ministry. It's being exhausted. That is not my not. <laughs> not at all. That's no, that's Girl. not a system that we subscribe to. We want to be well rested. <laughs> Literally, my ministry is not being exhausted. That is not cute. I'm like, come on. So I'm curious too, like when we kind of started talking about this subject, we were equating like, I know we've had a lot of discussions on like when you're an independent consultant and you're setting your hourly or you're setting a rate with someone, whether it's like yeah. a retainer or whatever the method you choose, how are you kind of thinking about, and you might be in early days. So I'm just curious, mm-hmm. how are you thinking about asking people to pay you what you should be paid for your value without trying to put some kind of time marker on it? I'm yeah. just curious if you're exploring that or if, you know, cause there's, there's a lot to be said. Like, I think one thing mm-hmm. we talked about is that Something that someone asks me to do might take me 15 minutes, but that's because I've had years of experience. So do they pay me for the years of experience or do they pay me for the 15 minutes? Girl, and that's the question. It is so wild. And I mean, (laughs) people are getting paid for their years of experience or, or, or I don't know, sometimes it's not the years. Sometimes it's like social cloud, like my name looks a bit behind us. So. Yeah. So this is more, right? Like, I have not, I have not figured that out. I think that I've tried a couple different things. I've tried some retainer-based fees. I will tell you in all the situations that I've tried, I've ended up like overworking and undercompensating myself. So I haven't really figured out this. Yeah. (laughs) But it's also because I'm moving away where I'm just like, these are things that I like am passionate about. Like I think is what the other freedoms that I have, like when I'm choosing my work is I've decided that I wanted to work with you and not just working with you. I decided I wanted to be a relationship and partner with you. Like, yes, there are, there are pieces of our work here that are, do have monetary value. Like, are we going to be like beholden to that completely? Like, no, there's other richness we can get, especially when we think about orgs who, you know, when I'm working with grassroots orgs or, you know, one-on-one with the individuals, like let's, let's get our goal done 
we might not get all that we like think we want to do because we're gonna and what I'm learning more is like we gotta respect my time back like maybe we can't do all those things but like what can we do and like let's use more of our resources yeah just using resources in a different way but I will say I have not figured out <laughs> a payment structure that feels you know released from yeah released from that yeah I'm taking all to. suggestions <laughs> yeah I think and I, when we are we're both taking suggestions because I think it's hard like once again, we're dealing with the problem of like, what, let's say you do come up with an entirely new standard, then it becomes an education process for the people that would then potentially hire you, right? And then right. that could be a barrier. It's like, I'm not used yeah. to this system. So I'm not going to work yeah. with you. I'm going to work with someone who has a system aligned to the standards that we already understand. Exactly. Um, but I do think you you made a really good point about how you kind of can educate the people that you're working with on the value of your time. Like maybe we can't do all of these things under the sun because actually that's going to take me 80 hours this week and you're only paying me for 20. And so like... Yeah. Being able to at least articulate that, which I feel like is something that you're learning how to do as you kind of experiment with different payment models and different clients, like that's something that you're more able to speak to, which I think is important for people when they're going out and consulting Mm -hmm. on their own and essentially Mm -hmm. giving people their time. Yes, yes. Because it's like, you know, I what I am like toying with is like, yes, I want to like charge people for my I want to value myself right and compensate myself well. Also, you know, I want to do it in a just and fair way that makes sure that person's time is being compensated well, right? Behind my, how much they invest in me, right? Absolutely. And so that's complicated because we're coming from two very different perspectives and we're not going to sit down and like go through like our, you know, like all of our finances and be like, where do we, right? Where do we, where do we, <laughs> let's balance this out with every situation. Maybe, maybe that's a model that could could work I know I've seen folks do some sliding scale work right that I'm certainly open to but honestly I've just joined a firm full-time and I don't have to do that for myself for a while so oh, well, congrats <laughs> thank you know about thank this. you yes yes because I was like Woo, I'm not ready for the big I mean it was it's it's great but I was like I just need to play a role right now and like <laughs> learn right because learn what is possible learn what people are doing I see consulting as helping people get to their goal right and it's yeah. like how do I align with that and the ways that I think about philanthropy how do I do it in a way that like feels really good to me and like that takes some some thought and I really want to be intentional about it yeah forthcoming but for right now I am I don't have to figure out all those those big decisions. And you're giving yourself time to figure those things out. Yes. Yes. And I'm saying you don't have to do it all right now. Exactly. Which is like, you know, 100 percent trying to grow up <laughs> and align with your values. My last question for this segment is like, what would the end of your day feel like if you were able to use time the way that you want to? Oof, that is so good. <laughs> Well, I would not face plan and pass out on the couch. <laughs> being exhausted I, I'm start there. I agree with that approach. <laughs> you know, I imagine that at the end of my days and I would have some time doing literally like whatever I felt like. And I don't know. I, I my mind's always like, I'm like, I want to go out one day. I want to see people. I want to like sit down and read a book. I want to watch like really trash TV for a little bit. Um, like, just like a dedicated hour just to do literally whatever I please. And then that sounds so little, like you could just get that, but it's wild how often we can't just like every day that would be guaranteed. Yeah. Miscellaneous free time. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Free time, literally. And then I would have a very, like, I, I forget what podcast I was listening to, but she talked about her nighttime routine. Actually. Yeah. I put this is like, this is small habits for better well-being. And I put have a bedtime routine that you actually like, like that's a goal. But she talked about like turning down the light because like with bright lights, like we're alerted to like be on. So like in my ideal setting, the lights would be dim, like maybe candles, right? Mm. And like some nice smells are going, like I just transport to a spa. My house becomes a spa. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Free time to spa, right? So like, some cuddles uh because I like cuddles at the end of the day from my partner and I think just like 
peace like being able to get clarity and like Mm -hmm. just leave whatever was there down yeah and feel really clear like not just like fake clear like I did a five minute meditation or like listen to a thing before I went to bed so I could like no or like I smoked some weed so I would chill out like no I want to just like yeah have that transition in my head I'm like maybe when I'm 60 I can do that but no girl you can do that (laughs) next week we're just gonna we're you can do that next week we're just gonna you have the small habits that you're gonna form but I think like I hear what you're saying you know I think it's interesting as we talk about time, none of us want anything particularly special, but it's like even talking about a nighttime routine, the fact that you can dim your lights and like transition into the the most effective way to go to sleep. I think like I'm hearing from you that you just want a schedule and a life where you're actually setting yourself up for healthy life practices. Like you're just giving yourself space to not be scheduled, giving yourself space to reflect, which in the end of the day will give you more peace and more clarity. And I think, I think that's important for all of us to reflect on because it's like, how have we set up our lives so that that is aspirational and that just, you know, just being able to say like 7 PM is when I'm going to start winding down. Like that's rarely the case for me. No, that's not. That's why I'm like those times where it's like start doing all those things. Like, I'm not, like we need a little couple more hours in the day actually to do all those things. <laughs> Can we uh, add like two, three, like yeah. twenty-seven hour days now? Like a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. But right, like I'm not starting to wind down at seven to like have a nice eight hours sleep. I'm like, no, but ideally but ideally and so it's like what are the small things that we can do to get to that feeling that you just described of like peace i think that's that's important when you are not the baddest bitch in the game in the philanthropy world and when you are sick of trying to come up with ways to make yourself like you know have more time what are your ways of escaping? Like, just, I'm not sorry. I'm going to do this. Yeah. I escaped or just to escape. Like I literally just go the world. You've experienced this before, Nadia. I just, like, I just go off the, off the radar. Like you've experienced that with us living together. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, he has been in that room for a long time. For a long time. <laughs> or he hasn't been home for a long time. Or, or, or right, or I've literally escaped, right? Like literally, I just run away to either my bed. My bed's usually the most accessible place. Honestly. And like when I do that, I'm like, my phone, my phone just it's like I'll let it die and I just won't turn it back on for a long time. That's a flex though. Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm flexing when I'm doing it. Like the people who need to care the most are used to it by now. So they're probably like, okay, girls getting her stuff together. <laughs> let her be. If I am able, like escaping to a place always feels really nice. Like getting into like a, like traveling alone. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately I can't do that at the end of every week. Like, be like I'm going on a vacation by myself, but. Yeah, I remember one time when I was in between. I, I was like, it was before I moved to Seattle, but I had family there and I like came out to visit my family and I was just like really stressed with like I think I was trying to move to Seattle. I think my job was like not going great. Like, you know, it was like just not good. I think I just broke up with like a person. I was gonna say my boyfriend, but I don't know if we even made it to that stage. <laughs> you know I was hurt and so but I like went to my eyes was like I just need to get away and she like had a friend that had this house on Whippy Island and I went there and I was scared of shit because it was in the middle of the woods I thought but it was nice I was escaped yeah and I was like this is it like I didn't have to do anything like the service stuff like I like was really lazy like you know like being really lazy is like my escape too like I'm like I am not doing shit like I might I'm gonna eat Yes. in my bed <laughs> oh the ultimate vibe i love I, this is something we share i love getting like a giant bag of sour patch Ooh, girl you know that's a part of the escape <laughs> and wearing my sweats and just watching whatever reality and sometimes not even watching anything just like being in bed and just not yes. worrying just not caring like literally <laughs> sometimes it just feels good to be just there yes just there exactly literally just to be like a thing on this earth (laughs) with no responsibility like gosh goals so yeah I those are those are my I love escapism (laughs) yeah same 
Oh my gosh. So next trip, you don't have to have it planned. You don't have to have the resources. Where do you want to be for your next escape, ideally? Oh, my next escape, ideally. I'm just, uh, oh gosh, okay. I was like, Bali. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, I'm just going to go with it. I think there's some like things that I may not like about going to Bali, but being that there's like a lot of tourists that go there and maybe we shouldn't all be driving to Bali, but first thought, that's my answer. Yeah. I would go to Bali and like be in one of those huts. Or that Bora Bora, like one. Of, I just imagine one of those like huts in the ocean. Yeah, I'd probably be scared too. There, I'd be like, I want to do it. You know, working through fear on your own is also like really great. I always think I should travel by myself, and then when I do, I start to fear the whole experience. Yeah, yeah. You're like, this is my. You're like, oh my gosh, like, am I gonna get kidnapped? Is this my like taken moment? You know, <laughs> but you work through those, and then you feel like. You know, it's just you and yourself. There's the experience you get through. And that's like, hell yeah. So like, I did it. This podcast is a labor of love. And too often, labor by Black women happens without compensation. If anything in this episode resonated, and if you're taking anything along with you today, please consider donating to our Patreon or sending funds via Venmo. All information is available on that's no longer my ministry.com. Also, wherever you're listening to this episode, please consider subscribing and tuning in to next week's community release. Bye, fam.